Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey Pediocast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy, Dom Lushishin. Dom, what's going on, man? Not too much. I... As always, appreciate your pronunciation of my last name. You do a fantastic job, one of the best in the business, and uh, I think you'd be proud of that. I, I, th- I wish uh, I wish Rob Pizzolo was here. He's always he's always amazed at how well mm-hmm. I, I pronounce your name, <laughs> which is funny because you guys know each other very well, but he st- yeah. struggles with it for whatever reason. Um, I actually sent you some, uh, some homework to prep for today's show <laughs> because you notoriously refuse to prep for podcasts, yeah. just using that big brain of yours to channel all the information. And... Uh, and, and you did a bit of prep. Uh, it's a fun concept idea that I have for today's show. We're going to, I've thought of like six big picture topics slash questions slash ideas or, or however you want to frame it. And we're going to use them as kind of entry points for the conversation. And we're going to bounce around the league. And actually to keep us in check and on pace, I thought it'd be fun. I'm going to set a 10 minute timer for each one of them. So we're going to go 60 minutes, six topics. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the 10 minute timer is up, we've done what we've done. We're just going to move on to the next one, even if we're not completed yet so uh how does that sound to you that that sounds great i don't want people to get it twisted i'm going off brand with complete prep um i did about five minutes of homework just to make sure i don't waste uh the 10 minute segments just to have some teams on my mind but i'm gonna still use the the big beautiful brain of mine to just shoot from the hip i like it i like it okay i'm setting the timer here and we're gonna go now all right topic number one does anyone in the league right now have a better A-plus game than the Colorado Avalanche? When they put it together, when they're playing at their absolute highest potential, when everyone is in the lineup and they're firing on all cylinders, are they the best team in the league in terms of you feeling like if they're playing their game, no one can match what they're capable of? Uh, we can save about 9 minutes and 55 seconds here by saying there's no one who's touching the Avalanche right now, but... We can go a little deep in that. I think there's one team that can do it, and it's a theoretical team. It's Tampa Bay with Nikita Kucherov. Mm-hmm. I think 
those two teams are in a league of their own. And if we don't get that as a Stanley Cup final, it would be crushing to me because those two teams play such an exciting brand of hockey and they're the best teams in the league. I want to see that. Uh, prep time. Um, I was looking at the abs game log because it seems like over the last few games, every time they play, they're just annihilating their opponent, like yep. outshooting them like 50 to five, 40 to 15 and just ruining lives. And so I looked at the game logs and since late February, their XG is uh, 66%. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's it's, uh, it's all right. We run the numbers. Yeah. So the last eight games in particular, I've got this down. They've outshot teams 336 to 172. <laughs> uh, and the high danger attempts during that time are 109 to 54. So doubling them up uh, during this seven game winning streak they're on right now. They're outscoring teams 32 to eight. Now, you know, part of it is competition. Three of those games against the Coyotes, two against the Kings, two against the Wild, one against the Ducks. But it is worth noting that the Wild came into that two game series in Colorado uh, you know, really feeling themselves. People were excited about them. They were playing good hockey. They were winning a bunch of games and they just got humbled in the worst way imaginable. And I know it was like a big issue talking about, you know, especially in that one game where it was the, the shots were like 20 to one at one point. And mm-hmm. there was a bit of overcounting. I, I think it's overblown because it's like, all right, the difference in reality might've been the shots were 17 to one or 18 to one instead of 20 to one at that point. Like they certainly overcounted a few of the rebound attempts and, and maybe a shot or two wide, but like we know this, right? Like pretty much every rink is, I think people, I think the general fan, casual fan would be pretty alarmed to find out if they got a look behind the curtain, how off the actual shot on goal totals are compared to the shots that actually hit the net. Because I, I know that uh, they're, they're pretty off for most rinks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But at the end of the day, Minnesota had one shot and there's nothing that's going to change that unless they take more shots. Honestly, I, as some of you may know, I love the Wild this year. They're a, they're a beautiful team, um, and I'm not even mad they got whooped by the Avalanche. They got what they deserved, and now they know how far away they are from the true top of the league. But you can't really blame them for the, the run the Avalanche are on. They're doing this to anyone they face. Yeah, the Avalanche 515 profile for the season as a whole, like not just looking at the seven most recent games, is pretty outrageous. I think it's they're at 59% shot share and expected goals. And I think analytically, the big difference between the first 30 games here this year and maybe the past couple of seasons when they were winning a bunch of games and doing it in an exciting fashion is it seems like they're significantly better defensively as well. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, they use that trademark speed and skater talent to also in their own zone, kind of aggressively just hound whoever has the puck. And I I found just watching them that it seems like like a team like Minnesota, how little amount of time they actually spent in the offensive zone with possessions because the the abs are just all over them. And Mm -hmm. so I think going from being kind of like a middle of the pack team, like their success in the past has been largely, uh, you know, like shooting talent driven and they weren't necessarily like dominant five on five team as much as, you know, they obviously just had more talent than most teams, but it really seems like the floor for them along with the ceiling has increased because defensively they're just an entirely different group compared to last year or even the years before. Yeah, for sure. And last year they had a fair amount of, there's, there's reason for concern that there'd be some regression this year because it seemed like it was all shooting talent, all goaltending talent. And we saw a bit of that early on the season where they couldn't buy a goal despite their dominance. And even now, they have that near 60% XG and their goals percentage is actually 
lower. So this is a team that's playing so well, and you could make the argument that they're a bit unlucky, which is insane for a team with the record that they have. Yeah, I, I like on paper, I think certainly think they're pretty flawless if you look up and down their lineup, you know, just with like Taves, McCarr, Gerard, and Byram in terms of blue line skating ability. And then up front, I mean, McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog together this season are outscoring teams 18 to 5 in their 5 on 5 minutes. Saad, Kadri, and Brokowski are like just as good in terms of all the shot metrics as those guys. Like the, the way they've constructed this group makes a lot of sense, and there's very few flaws. I guess the potential concerns here would be twofold, right? One is the injuries, which is like impossible to account for, but. We, it did them in towards the end of last year. So far this year, they've struggled to basically maintain a full lineup for extended periods of time. And I think the second one is relying on Grubauer. Like he's been awesome so far, but because Pavel Francis has been out and they haven't had a reliable backup, he's played 26 of their 30 games so far. And it's easier when he's only facing like 15 shots as he has mm-hmm. in some of these recent games. But this is a guy who I think his previous, he's never played 40 games in a full 82 game season. And he's, pretty much like about to match his career high so far through 30 games. And so while he's been good this year, um, I, I, I think that's kind of one potential thing, but you could say that for, for every great team, right? It's like, Oh, if they're goaltending, if their goalie either gets injured, if Vasilevsky gets injured, Tampa Bay screwed. It's like, yeah, yeah, that's probably the case for, for pretty much everyone. So I don't want to shine like too bright of a light on that because it's, it's a small problem relative to what a lot of other teams face. But yeah, I, I think a lot of people would still point to that as their one, possible reservation about this group yeah and i i think it's unfair i heard yeah, a lot last been good. year yeah he's been good for a while and he's been one of these analytic darling goalies and i think when we saw in the playoffs last year that goaltending was an issue uh grubauer was injured mm-hmm. if i recall correctly yep. and i think he's a legitimate start in this league and he's showing that this year by putting up probably the best numbers of his career he has it's kind of it, it is a bit interesting that they're just straight up like punting the backup position right now They for like Jonas Johansson or whatever. It's like, yeah, Hunter Miska goes out there and he just looks atrocious. And they're like, all right, we're just going to go back to Grubauer here. And uh, yeah, I guess the one, one final question about this team that is like is a collision course in that West division inevitable with Vegas. The only reason I say that is because. Yeah, duh, obviously, but I think we probably, if we were doing this podcast before last year's postseason, I would have said the same thing, and obviously we didn't see that matchup. So uh, is there anyone in this division that can even realistically, in your mind, get in the way of those two teams from from meeting each other in, in the final of that division? I I really think that getting first place is huge for this division because the way St. Louis is looking and whoever cares about the next four West teams, that's a pretty easy matchup. Obviously, nothing's guaranteed in hockey, but you get a big edge from facing one of those teams rather than facing Minnesota, who I think will obviously be the underdog, but will put up a fight because they're at their best. They're a strong possession team as well. And now they have Kaprizov who can sort of break games open. Yeah, I think the Blues are are interesting. People kind of seem to keep just waiting for them to to go on a run. Mm. They've been impossible to evaluate because they have all these injuries pretty much the entire season uh rob thomas and golden break are out right now i think 20 10 of their final 20 games are against the abs in the Knights. so i guess we'll see how they stack up against those teams although the the most recent game we saw uh last night against vegas 
uh, certainly was not encouraging from St. Louis's perspective. So um, I wouldn't be banking on that too much, but I do think people still view them as the third best team in that division, even even though uh, we they haven't necessarily looked that way so far. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question because sometimes people are very quick for recency bias, but then when it's a team that's won a cup recently, they're so slow to lose that reverence. And I don't think the Blues currently deserve it. Obviously, Pareko's a big piece, and I want to see how they do with him in the lineup and with fully healthy forward group, but they've been so frustrating. And maybe I'm just biased because I bet on them a lot, expecting better, and they continue to disappoint me, whereas the Wild are the exact opposite. So I love them. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else on the abs, or should we move on to the next topic? We've got like 45 seconds here, but we can always bank those 45 seconds for the, for the next topic. I mean, why not segue with a player that went from the Islanders to the Avalanche. Um, I guess I spoiled the next segment a bit, but I I can't believe that how good Devin Taves has been this year for the Avs. He was obviously great last year, but he seems to fit their system so well, and he plays really well with Makar, and I think he's been with Gerard a bit with all the injuries, but he's been unreal, and it's amazing to me that the Islanders have been unreal as well without him. That is a good segue. Let's let's get into topic number two here as I reset my timer for 10 minutes. Are the Islanders the team you're most confident in or about in the East Division? It is so tough because the East Division has some very strong teams. I, I don't think I've ever been, like in recent years, since they had that big talent exodus and they were winning Preston's trophies all year, I don't think I've ever been as high on Washington as I have in the this year they're playing legitimately better and they're actually possessing the puck a lot more i still think the penguins are a good team as long as malkin comes back to the playoffs i i I hate betting against crosby and malkin i think they're a good team and boston is boston is boston i they've been disappointing lately but with that top line with mcavoy with their goaltending hard to bet against them as well but the islanders man they they have been shockingly good. And I think we can both admit that they have previously been better than we give them credit for. And this feels like an entirely new level to that. It has. The analytical darling, New York Islanders. Yeah. I want everyone listening to make note of that because it is certainly the case. So as of time of recording right now, they're leading the standings now, albeit with a slightly worse point percentage than Washington. But at 5-on-5, five five, what's interesting to me is how when you go from like across the board right so you go like just raw shot attempts they're 14th in the league just under 50 percent mm-hmm. then you go fenwick so taking account of those the shots that actually make it past shot blockers they jump up to 10th in the league go sh- shots that actually make it on net they're at eighth high danger attempts the quality of it all they're first at 59.6 percent at five on five this season uh they're fourth in actual goal share fifth in expected goal share they're top five in pretty much every defensive metric across the board at both 515 in all situations. And and I do think they're legit, and I brought this up on recent shows, but I, I think, you know, since we're talking about them here, it's a good point to investigate it a bit further. It's their ability to repeatedly do this, right? Like, I think you and I are both skeptical when we see a team that rattles off 5, 10, 15, maybe even 20 games where their raw numbers at 515 aren't good, but they're controlling the high danger attempts because ultimately that's a pretty small sample in terms of the numbers you're talking and the number of events you're kind of capturing there. 
But mm-hmm. this team clearly, based on Barry Trotz's system, based on the way they play, based on the way they're prioritizing certain regions of the ice, are able to kind of hone in on this and lock it down better than other teams are. And so I do think this is totally legit where they clearly have a very uh, direct control and impact on the shots that are actually making it on net and what they're kind of directing with it at both ends of the ice. And so uh, I, I'm all in on the Islanders. I think they're they're really, really good. I completely agree. And we're both analytics writers. So over the last few years, we've had some contentious arguments with Islanders fans. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in that time, I've always said, if the numbers are there to back up the Islanders, I will give full credit to the Islanders. And that started last year with the playoffs where they looked like this, where they were controlling the entire series against the Capitals and the Flyers, and they really held their own against the Lightning. And it was a very, very stark change from where they were last season, where obviously they were dealing with a few injuries and they weren't completely healthy, but they weren't controlling games. They weren't really controlling that high danger area and they weren't outscoring teams at five on five either. So it was a very stark difference, but it's a welcome one because it is one that fits what fans have seen with this team when they're at their best is how strong defensively they are and how well they can counterattack based off of that. I, it's, it's crazy. Cause I, I just didn't expect them to keep getting better and better based on their age, but this is year three under the trot system and they the team is obviously fully bought in. And this is the best version of the Islanders. I think we've seen where their numbers look, I don't even want to know if, the, if it's as good as their fans say it might be even better. I don't think many realize they're a top five expected goals team and one of the best defensive teams in the league. Yeah, I think you and I feel the same way about this and approach it the same way where as new information presents itself, we'll happily adjust our opinions, right? And this is like clearly a new level that they're playing at that they have in the past. And I think sort of holding on to your pre-existing beliefs or notions about this team or, or just maybe some people are influenced by the fact that they, you know, they see a low scoring game and they think they're boring. I, I really like, I enjoy watching these Islanders games because I totally respect that they're able to could like dictate what's happening on the ice. I think that's so difficult to do. And for them to keep game in and game out doing it is impressive to me. And I do think the reason why I phrased this question as most confident about any of these teams is because I do think they match up pretty well against most of the T top teams in this division. Now the big X factor here is Anders Lee's injury and him being out for the season is a massive loss for them, especially because he's a high danger King in terms of what he does around the net and not to mention all the off ice leadership stuff and all that. But, um, it presents this interesting opportunity for them where they have all of a sudden $7 million or so worth in cap space to go out and add someone. And I think Lou is typically uh, not the type of person to go and, you know, splurge on a, a pure rental. But if there was ever a year to do it, it feels like this would be it because they're already so sort of pot committed with this team in terms of agent contracts. They're clearly very good. And if there's an opening that you want to address, it's probably a wing position because there's a lot of those players available and it's it seems like what they need is like so um like obvious and, and easily approachable in terms of the hole they're trying to fill here so there's plenty of options but it seems like this would be a perfect opportunity for them to to go all in and add someone to to potentially bolster this group 
Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. I think this is the year for them to go for it because there is definitely a clear path for them to go back to the conference finals. I think the other three teams in the East, even if we think they're all similarly talented or have their own strengths or whatever, I think the Islanders do match up really well with the two skilled teams with the Caps and Penguins and then a Boston team that really lacks defensive depth. I think the Islanders are a pretty deep team. They don't have, aside from Barzell, like a true star. They just have a lot of really good players and that top pair with Pelican Pulak is probably one of the best in the league. Yeah, their numbers are insane. They could be here, mm-hmm. st- sitting here right now with us and we wouldn't be able to pick them out and know who they are, but <laughs> when they're on the ice, they are just insanely good. Their underlying numbers, I, I wish you could just kind of give them the Norris Trophy because you, mm-hmm. you can't split them up, but I love that the, they've been the two best uh, players at the position. So I think here's the question then. If you were fantasy booking this, if you were running the Islanders, who would you be trying to go all in with in terms of uh, acquiring that's realistically available right now to fill that Andersley hole? It's it's a really tough question because I think there's two ways you can do it. You can go all in with the one big fish, and that would probably be Taylor Hall. Mm-hmm. And I've always thought, what would Taylor Hall and Matthew Barzell look like together? And it's a nice thought. But they're, they have a couple holes with uh, Dal Cole and Komarov, especially with Leah Anders Lee out, that there's probably two holes in the top nine that they can fill. And I wonder if it would make more sense to get two wingers and sort of really beef up the top nine instead of going all in on someone like Hall, maybe get someone like Granlund or one of the other, I guess, mid-level, mid-six wingers that sort of fit the Anders stall. Because I don't know if Hall is a islanders type player but he's certainly exciting when he's at his best i think he's an islanders type of player beyond just the f- interesting fit with matt barzal and in, in the sense mm-hmm. that I, I think there's a misconception where it's like he's not necessarily this uh you know pure skill player like i think when hall's at his best and most effective he's just like forechecking the crap out of the puck right and mm-hmm. that would i think fit in theory with the islanders and the way they want to play and the pace they want to play at so um yeah you know on, on the defensive side of things it would be interesting but i just think purely in terms of like getting the puck up the ice and then going and retrieving it and then trying to create chances that way he would be a good fit but i think part of what increases his team ceiling as well is you know oliver wallstrom comes in yeah. and, and and has a legitimate weapon of a shot and starts scoring a bunch of goals for them and just finding these additional sources of offense is, is so huge for a team like this. So whether it's him or, or Kiefer Bellows or, you know, Noah Dobson when he comes back, I, I do think the ceiling of this team is elevated because there's all of a sudden, you know, just different players stepping up and contributing. And, and wow, we just spent like 10 minutes just, just raving about the New York <laughs> Islanders and the PDO cast. It's uh, what a time to be alive. Mm-hmm. And I, I was looking at the depth chart and like what my model says, and immediately my eyes were drawn to Wallstrom because I... I didn't know how good he's been this year. My model apparently likes him a lot, thinks he's a strong, almost top six quality player, and he's only getting like 12 minutes per night. So that's good for them. Yeah, yeah. Seven goals in the last 15 games, six of them at 5-on-5. Five five. That, uh, that will certainly do. Um, all right, our 10 minutes are up here. As we move mm-hmm. over to the other division out east, we're going to go to the top of the central. I'm going to start the clock here, and here's the question. Can either the Panthers or the Hurricanes realistically push slash challenge Tampa Bay in a potential playoff series? Don't say say no. Don't say no. I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to say no. 
I, I think we've got to fill nine minutes here because I think it's uh, similar to the Colorado question where we're just going to wax poetic maybe about Tampa Bay. I, I love the Hurricanes. I think they're a great team. The fact that they're getting excellent goaltending right now is uh, a beautiful thing to see. Uh, Alex Nzelkovic has been unreal, and I think it's kind of funny he's been unreal since I, I think I was messaging someone and I didn't have a projection for him for a game, and I used a sort of a, there's a word I'm thinking of, a like, stand-in. So yeah, yeah. if like I don't a have a projection, holder. I just put, yeah, placeholder, I just put guy. And Nadjelkovic was so bad before that that I had a second placeholder under that for terrible. And since then, he has like a 935 save percentage. And I have him rated as one of the best goalies in the league, so... I think he got a shutout that game, and I immediately said, I'm not putting him as terrible anymore. He seems really good, and that's a great thing for the Hurricanes. They're going to have a three-headed goalie monster. Not sure what they're going to do there when Mrazek comes back, but he seems like the real deal, and they're deep at forward, they're deep at D, and they're the closest thing to Lightning in that division. But the big question with the Lightning is, will Kucherov be back for the playoffs? And if he is, then no one's touching that team. They'll need a bit of luck to get by. If he's not healthy, then I think Carolina is right up there. Yeah, I get the feeling that Nikita Kucherov will be healthy by the time game one of the postseason starts. I just yeah. call it a hunch. Um, a hunch. <laughs> well, okay, so let's do the Hurricanes first here. You, you, you touched on a lot of stuff. I do, I'm interested in them, right? Because they've been this darling for a couple of years and um, have fallen a bit short. I do think that they do they do have the top end talent right now to match these teams, right? Like mm-hmm. if you just especially watch recently, the combination of Martin HS and Sebastian Ajo has been ridiculously fun to watch. And the chemistry of those two guys kind of playing off of each other. And I think, you know, NHS just playing for Carolina. It's, it's, it's like, it took a while for Sebastian Ajo himself to shake the, the underrated tag because like everyone, I think now just knows how good he is, but like NHS, it seems like the next obvious candidate for, everyone's column about who the next breakout player or next underrated player is it's going to be him but he he's already there he's he's a top line guy in terms of talent and, and he's producing ridiculous numbers so far so you know with Aho, with Nechas, with Svechnikov um, their power play has been awesome this season and I love the wrinkles they've had there with with Vinny Trocek before he got hurt um, kind of in, in that middle spot of the ice and what they've been doing there so I do think they can match them there and they certainly have the uh, five on five sort of possession numbers to match up as well so I think it's it's a bit unfair to be comparing anyone to Tampa Bay because you're right when they're Mm -hmm. healthy they're in a world of their own but I certainly think just in terms of like the pace they could play at like there's no reason to believe that the Carolina wouldn't be able to uh you know go punch for punch for them and 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 really push them in a series because you look like the organizational depth here is, is remarkable similar to what we're talking about with Colorado where there's just so few holes. And if there are injuries, they have players that have been able to just step in like a Jake Bean or an Alex Nedeljkovic and, and, and give them legitimate production. So um, there, there's very little not to like with this Hurricanes team. Yeah, and they've been doing it for a while without Teravainen and Trocek and still looking pretty strong in the process. So I, right now they're tied with the Lightning in terms of XG and they may be the better possession team right now, but... The Lightning have that shooting talent edge. They have the Vasilevsky edge with the way he's been playing this year. And I think with those two things combined, I it's hard not to take Tampa, but the Hurricanes will definitely have a chance. 
we haven't talked about the, I, I, I included the Panthers in this list. I, I do think they're a notch below, but just mm-hmm. in terms of the production so far, I felt like it was fair to include them. And I, and I will say, uh, you know, you were talking earlier about how like it takes people time to adjust, but then if you win, maybe you give teams more credit than they deserve. I think for this Panthers team, uh, people are I still seem to be kind of like, oh, are, are the Panthers actually good? And I'm here to report that I, I do genuinely believe they're they're a very good team. They might not be in that tier, but this is more legit than not, I think. Like if you look at mm-hmm. the underlying numbers and it's clear it the thing that gives me comfort is it's it's very easy to sort of point to the adjustments they made where it's like, all right, they split Barkov and Huberto up. Barkov is finally playing up to his potential as a top two A guy. His expected goals and high danger totals are, are just insane in the sixties. And um you know, it's there, there's questions with goaltending, obviously, and um, I think they're not nearly as deep as those two other teams. But just in terms of the top end talent and being able to have Barkov while he's playing at this level out there for 25 of the 60 minutes does give them an interesting uh, puncher's chance, I think, in terms of not necessarily winning a series, but definitely not being sort of completely outclassed because I, I do think they're good. Yeah, I, I agree. They're, they're up there in XG. Barkov is playing the best hockey of his career he should run away with the selkie with the way he's playing i i have concerns about their bottom six and some of their depth defensemen but the way their stars are playing it's easy enough to overlook where i think they're a legitimately good team my biggest issue is with Bobrovsky. i i don't have much faith in him chris dreger is has been much better for the past two years and if he starts in the playoff series, then I have a lot more faith in the Panthers. But I don't think that would be the case. I don't know how short the leash would be. But I yeah, I just don't have faith in Bobrovsky. And that's the, the biggest reason I can't really put them in the, the same tier as the Hurricanes right now. Yeah, I agree with that. But I will say when the argument... And listen, with these top teams, you do kind of have to nit- nitpick at the end of the mm-hmm. day. But... Mm-hmm. Um, who knows what you're going to get from a goalie over a seven game series. <laughs> like, I, I think when, when, when it's close enough that that's the call, like certainly I feel more confident that Andre, Andre Vasilevsky is going to outperform pretty much any goalie in a series. And I think that's kind of a unique case, but for the most part, for a lot of these goalies, it's like, yeah, they could very conceivably play four out of seven bad games or four out of seven good games and out, outperform the goalie at the other side of the uh, ice. And that could be the difference. So I think that's something that's important to to keep in mind in all these conversations about who's a better team coming to the playoffs. But um, in terms of the regular season, I, I think that's certainly fair. Is there anything else um, about any of these three top teams in that division that, that we should get to while we still have a couple minutes here? Uh, I'm not too sure, but I, I do think a lot of credit needs to go to Aaron Ekblad on Florida mm-hmm. because he's looking like the elite defenseman a lot of people hoped he would be when he was drafted first overall. It took a bit of time. He had that great first year, but a lot of people think that was mostly Brian Campbell driven. And after that, it was sort of up and down, a lot of meh. But over the last two seasons, he's been legitimately a force for the Panthers. And when he's on with Barkov, they're a dominant group. And I think that's a a big part of what makes them... I'm not sure if they're a cup contender, but they're definitely a dark horse team this year. And they have that thing that every cup contender has, which is a elite number one center and an elite number one D. I think having those two pieces is so key. 
Yeah, and and so they've been good at five on five this year. I think they're also like sixth or something in terms of uh, power play scoring as well on a permanent mm-hmm. basis. And, and it makes sense given the personnel they have, and and that's kind of an X factor here as well. Where you know in the past they they had a good power play because their top end was really good, but um, it was kind of a, a one trick pony or a one dimensional team in that sense. And uh, recognized employees with Custom Inc. Show customer appreciation with Custom Inc. Outfit your teams with Custom Inc. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at customink.com. Make Custom Inc. your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at customink.com. I'm really, I'm really fascinated about that. I keep talking about them on the podcast and I keep watching their games because it's very rare that you see a team overgo like go through such a a transformation from one season to the next like this without like they've just certainly changed their personnel but the top players are still the same and they're getting so much more out of them and it's not just the pucks going into the net it's like the fundamental process and the underlying numbers are so much better than they've been in the past and so for me that's that's always interesting when you see a team uh undergo a transformation or a makeover like that Mm -hmm. yeah for sure um all right let's take a our minute, our ten minutes are up here. We're gonna take a quick break to hear from a sponsor, and then we're gonna finish up our uh, our remaining three questions. All right. Question number four: What's the team that you've been the most either surprised by, and let's say pleasantly, um, or you felt like you were the most kind of wrong about in terms of? Um, your preseason expectations, either where your model had them or what you were expecting from them heading into the year. So I did just, I did some prep uh, for nice. this one. Nice. Um, I looked at what the underlying team strength my model had for each team at the start of the year, and I compared it to what they have now. And the biggest surprise by far, not even close, was the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's fair. So, so what? What was beyond just Kirill Kaprizov being this good right out of the <laughs> gate? Uh, what do you feel like were the what? What do you think accounts for those differences between your your models uh, preseason expectations and what they've actually gotten out of their players so far? There's a couple things. Kaprizov is by far the biggest one because at the start of the year I had nothing but KHL production and couldn't really go off that very much. And based on what he was in the KHL and his age, I just had a conservative expectation of a second line player. And he's been so much more than that. He's been a legitimate top liner. He looks elite on some nights and he's looking like he might be one of the best wild players ever. And I know that's almost an outrageous thing to say for someone who is like 26 games into their career, but he looks that good. And almost every night he's, a huge difference maker. Aside from that, I think Joel Erickson Eck has taken a real big step. And the big question early on was how is this team going to do anything with their center depth? And Joel Erickson Eck said, okay, okay. Uh, I took offense to that and I'm going to show you guys what I can do. And what is he doing? He's putting up Salky numbers of his own and being one of the best shutdown centers in the league while putting up a bit more offense than he's usually capable of. I, I think on the Kaprizov point, um, it's a tricky subject because it is so early into his career, but I think uh, 
and you know, not to be a, a huge eye test guy here, mm-hmm. uh, but just from watching the games, um, quote unquote, I, I really do think he is a, a generational playmaker in terms of his mm-hmm. ability to routinely set teammates up for um, just significantly higher quality scoring chances than they're probably going to get otherwise. And maybe that our, our ability to, to quantify right now in terms of what that's actually worth is. And so um, I know his like underlying numbers aren't necessarily in terms of the shot metrics and stuff aren't particularly great, but I do think his impact on the offensive end in terms of being able to create for both himself and for others. And especially as the talent around him improves over time, and some young players come in and hopefully add some more finishing talent around him. I do think the sky's the limit there. So I completely agree with that. And and the goaltending, I think, as well, is a big deal mm-hmm. here because, and I don't know how much of this is, is uh, you know, wonky um, rink bias numbers in terms of, you know, how good they actually were defensively in the past compared to maybe we were uh, unfairly attributing their goaltending being, like, catastrophically bad because of the the shot locations because uh, if you look at Devin Dubnik's expected uh, goals numbers and, and his goal saved above expected and stuff over the past couple of years it's like how is how is this even possible I think he was like a minus 20 in like 30 <laughs> games last season I'm like that, that seems almost hard to believe but um, he certainly wasn't very good towards the end and so bringing in Cam Talbot who I, I think of now as like the perfect slightly above league average goalie which is huge for this team, especially given their defensive metrics and Kapo Kakinen in his rookie year, like for them to have the type of goaltending they're getting from those two compared to what they got in the past, I, I do think is a significant step up as well. Yeah, for sure. Just getting plus goaltending has been a huge boost for them. I also have to credit the Jonas Brodin, Matt Dumba pair because they've been on that Pelic Pulak level in terms of controlling play and being one of the better shutdown pairs in the league. So a lot of things are are going right for the Wild. It's hard to know for sure how much is, of that is quality of competition because they've had a pretty soft schedule and they just got annihilated by the Avalanche. So mm-hmm. there's some room for concern there, but I think they're they're the real deal. Yeah, well, especially as that opening for the third best team in that division. Um all right, I've got. I, I do think we, we actually talked about the Wild in terms of our preseason over unders and being higher on them than the market mm-hmm. was when we did that podcast with Rob. Um, all right, the team that I was the most wrong on was the Chicago Blackhawks because I know they're reeling right now. They've lost six of their past seven games. They got smoked uh, out in Florida, but they're still hanging on to the fourth and final playoff spot in that division. And maybe this is as much about. Uh, the their peers in terms of how bad the other teams have been but i went into the the season thinking there was an outside shot that chicago might be the worst team in the league just because with doc and taves out i felt like no one had a worse center group no one had bigger question marks on their blue line and then i was looking at that colin delia malcolm suban combination and ned and thinking all right like this is going to be really bad like i don't see their path towards like not giving up at least four goals against per game and obviously, I didn't count it for your boy Kevin Lankin and stepping in and having a two-month bender. He's come back down to earth a little bit uh, recently. But, you know, this team still has pretty ugly 5-on-5 numbers. And I think uh, there's a lot at play here. And I, I get that it's kind of this young team with like, a lot of rookies in the lineup. And so for them to be even kind of keeping their head slightly above water at a 500 record and potentially being in a playoff spot 
and the market, it's going to lead to a lot of oh, Jeremy Colleton has been the coach of the year. And I certainly don't think that's the case. I guess part of what I underestimated is just the the high end skill on the team and the forward group in terms of like their their shot metrics are very bad, but they're able to convert opportunities. They have a very good power play. They create a bunch off of these kind of rush chances and broken down plays with their top six. And so I guess maybe that's that's kind of a, a bit of a lesson moving forward in terms of projecting who the worst teams are gonna be because um they certainly like I, I should have accounted more for I guess the, the high end skill. I couldn't have seen Lankin and coming and giving them league average goaltending, but um I I maybe underestimated how good um at least their power play scoring would be and, and so maybe if I had accounted for that better I wouldn't have thought that they'd be the worst team. Yeah. Uh well they had probably one of the worst defense corps in the league. So that was a, a fair guess for both of us. It still looks pretty bad, but I mean, when you have Kane and Debrinkit playing the way they are, uh, and you have a goaltender like Kevin Lankinen doing what he's doing, it really hides some of those issues. I remember early on in the season, you, you messaged me because I... I think I tweeted that the Coyotes were the worst team in the league. And that was just a joke because on Twitter, I just nothing on, I say on Twitter is serious. I just joke around and mostly it's just me complaining about bets because I don't tweet about wins. I only complain about losses and I bet on the Coyotes and they looked awful. And I was trying to get some reverse jinxing going. And you said, actually, the Blackhawks are the worst team in the league. And I think immediately after that, they, uh, they showed you were quite wrong yeah. about that, which is. Honestly, at the time, I thought the same thing. I kept having bets on the Blackhawks, and I'm like, I, I don't want to be here. I don't want this to happen. And then Kevin Lankin happened, and he's probably one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me in my life. I loved that man like he was my own son. Um, I, I literally tweeted that this man is putting my kids through college, and that is not a joke. He is my hero. Yeah. I just I, I watched the games, and I was just like, I don't understand how this is happening. Like I'd, I'd watch and I'd be like, how, how are the, how did that puck not go in? What is going on? I was, it was driving me crazy because, um, you know, I, I think I generally do a pretty good job of like acknowledging, uh, the room for error. And especially in our preseason predictions being like, all right, this is my best educated guess, but who knows what's going to happen. But I felt like mm-hmm. I, I went out on a bit of a limb in terms of, because everyone was like, all right, Detroit and Ottawa are going to be the, obviously the worst teams. And I was like, I don't know, like this Blackhawks team, like if you just look at the important positions, it looks very bleak. Like I just don't see it. And I obviously thought that like Nashville and, and Dallas and even Columbus would be significantly better than they've been so far. And and if they mm-hmm. had been, maybe Chicago, because I know they've banked a bunch of points against those teams, maybe uh, their outlook would look significantly differently right now. But uh, at the same time, credit to them, I guess, for for not being as bad as those teams because uh, they found ways to, to to win games so far. And the fact that they're hanging on for a playoff spot is pretty remarkable. Now, that is going to result in a first round series against Tampa Bay that I think is going to be aggressively bad. Um, yeah. But uh, still, it's uh, they've been much better than I thought they'd be. So uh, kudos to them, I guess. Yeah, my my model had it had them eighth because I guess. It doesn't really believe in their five-on-five play and figures they should regress. But I kind of want to see them make the playoffs just to see what my model thinks the series probability would be between the loaded Tampa Bay Lightning with Nikita Kudrov back versus the Blackhawks, who are led by Pew Suter on the first line (laughs) center position. A lot of David Kampf. Yeah, Um I will Could say be the most lopsided probability I've ever had. That's why I want to see it. It will. 
and of course they're gonna win game one somehow and people <laughs> yeah. are gonna be like you stupid idiot dumb but no I, I i do think like i will say this there there's certain plays and certain nights that they look really really especially bad because they have young players making mistakes but i much prefer this to just rolling out a bunch of veterans there and trying to be slightly less bad like at least like the upside for for them having big scoring nights or potentially making stuff happen not to mention getting better down the line uh, I do think is significantly elevated compared to the alternative the teams sometimes do. Like, like you look at a team like Anaheim and sometimes, and it's like, why are, why are these players playing? Like, they're they're gonna be bad regardless. Just let all of your young players be bad rather than this thirty-two-year-old who who we know is bad and has no positive future outlook. Like, I just don't get it sometimes. Yeah, and Anaheim is definitely one of those teams, though they've gotten Zegers and Drysdale in some games recently, which is probably the most exciting thing about being an anaheim fan these Mm. days all right category number five uh kind of related to this one i I view this one and i think both you and i you pick minnesota i pick chicago in terms of like teams we've been pleasantly surprised by uh the alternative teams we've been most disappointed by uh, and that could be um anything i i view it as like kind of like you had higher hopes for them heading into the year and you've just been wildly let down by them is there is there anyone that sticks out to you in that category hmm let me think about which team somehow, despite having a very low bar, managed to dive even further into a trench in the deepest pits of the ocean and somehow look worse than they ever have in a decade-long rebuild. I think I'm going to say the Buffalo Sabres. Mm. Yeah, I felt like you were leading us there. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, the two of us talked about this with Rob in terms of when like your model tells you something for, for gambling purposes versus mm-hmm. like the feel of like, oh God, this feels bad. Um, with the Sabres, it's like, it, it does, it's, I know it's not the most analytical thing, but it does feel like there's just like a certain unquantifiable stink around the organization <laughs> in terms of like, it's whatever your expectations are, it's going to be significantly worse. And I don't know how to account for that except just like having no expectations, but mm-hmm. it's like, it's, it's almost impossible to look at what they went into the season with and what they've gotten out of it and reconcile those two, because like no one should be this bad. Like they've lost 25% of their schedule in a row. Like, <laughs> like losing f- like 14 games in a 56 game season in a row is really bad. I think they've lost eight of those 14 by exactly three goals like it's it's just stunning to me where they've been shut out as many times so far this season as winning games like they almost have the number of goals they've scored as a team and Connor mcdavid's points are like in a virtual race here like i just don't understand yeah. how there's there's nothing that we could uh that could have prepared us for this i guess is the way to put it right like it's like even if you're like all right the buffalo sabers it's a tough division they're not going to be good this is significantly worse than anyone could have possibly expected. The worst part for me is I was convinced my model was wrong the other way. There was so much hype about the Sabres this year and how this year might be the year they crawl their hole, they finally turn things around. When I wrote my season preview, I feel like I was duped by this hope And the entire preview was written in the most optimistic way possible because I felt so bad for Sabres fans who were very excited about this team for once and 
they thought this was finally a year where they could at least compete. And it's heartbreaking to me that that was the expectation and the want. They didn't want to be good. They didn't want to be great. They wanted to just look like a team. And they have not looked like a team this year. They have looked so pathetic on a night-to-night basis. And it it honestly is painful to watch. They are... I don't know if you follow the Down Bad Patrol on Instagram, but the Buffalo Sabres are the epitome of Down Bad right now because nothing is going right for them. It's just, it's so sad that like Steve Eiserman is like actively like, I don't care about this season. My hockey team is going to suck and mm-hmm. makes no, uh, you know, no, like doesn't, isn't going to waste his energy or his time trying to convince you otherwise. And like the Buffalo Sabres are like siding Taylor Hall and making trades and actively <laughs> being like, all right, we're going to be like decent this year. And they're just significantly worse. I just don't, I don't get it. It's, it's wild. It's depressing. I, I'm like morbidly interested in them. Like I can't look away. Like I, I tweet about them sometimes just cause I'm like, I think the most boring teams are the ones who are kind of in the middle and mediocre. I think if you're either exceptionally good or exceptionally bad, that is interesting to me and you have my attention and I, I just, I, I can't look away from this team, but it just doesn't feel good watching them or talking about them. I think I had the Nashville Predators on this list because they just depress me. Like they just, yeah. it's, it's not fun to watch. It's, I mean, I know they've had injuries, right? Like, you know, they don't have Ryan Ellis now. They don't have Roman Yossi in the lineup and, and I get it, but it still feels like they should be getting more out of the personnel they have. And I think like Philip Forsberg is one of my five players that I enjoy watching the most. And even sometimes I, I, I don't even want to bother turning on their games even to see him because I just know I'm not going to like what I'm seeing. And so for them to be this bad in a season where that fourth spot is so open for the taking for anyone in that central division is a really tough pill to swallow. And I know all eyes are on them moving forward for what they're going to do with the trade deadline and with Ekholm and Granlund and Hala and maybe even Ryan Ellis when he comes back. But it's bad. And and they clearly need to make some sort of changes because they can't just keep expecting to roll this over and expect better results. Yeah. Uh, I think we were both on the Preds bandwagon super early when mm-hmm. they swept the Blackhawks that year and went to the Stanley Cup final. Yep. They were one of the... One of the OG analytic darlings that really, I guess, solidified the movement because a lot of us were were big on them and a lot of mainstream people were like, no, Blackhawks, they're so good. They have Kane and Taves, they're elite. And that upset was was huge for uh for us. A little 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 victories like that, I think, helped the movement, even if a lot of other stuff we get wrong, those moments I think help. And I us the Predators will have a special place in my heart always for that, but it's been downhill since, and it's been heartbreaking to see that nothing more has come out of it. And they didn't end up going back, and they won the President's Trophy the year after, and still lost in the second round. But this is a, a bitter end. Well, they lost in the Stanley Cup final. They lost in the second round. That was that epic seven-game series against the Jets, which I, I don't yeah. fault them for losing. Um, yeah. And then they lost in the first round, and then they lost in the play-in round. And now they're not going to make the playoffs and they're going to need to make significant changes before they get back to the playoffs. And it's about as bad of a downward trajectory as you can have. Um, I also included the Philadelphia Flyers on this list just because I had no idea what to expect from them heading into the year. Obviously, how last season ended wasn't good where they were thoroughly outplayed by the New York Islanders in that series. But 
they had played so well in the second half of last season before the stoppage. And I guess it's tough to evaluate them similar to what we were saying about the St. Louis Blues, where there's this crazy stat I saw on Twitter today where they're playing game 31 this evening on Tuesday night. Mm -hmm. This is the first time they've used (laughs) the same 18 skaters in consecutive games since the first two games of the year. And so, you know, they've been hit really hard by COVID. They've had a bunch of absences. Sean Couturier missed an extended period of time. He's still playing, but banged up now. And so it seems almost kind of unfair to evaluate them because we just don't know what kind of lineup who you're going to see playing on any given night for them. But their performance from one night to the next has been, I think, as volatile as as anyone's in the league where you could tell me they're going to beat whoever the best team in the division you think is, let's say the Islanders on one night. And then they're going to lose nine nothing to the Rangers on the next, and it's all within the realm of possibility for for the Philadelphia Flyers. So maybe it's not surprising given uh, the track record of this team over the years, but I did expect more from the heading into this year, and I've been disappointed by their performance. the The Flyers are probably one of the most chaotic teams ever. This era of the Flyers, where I don't know if you've I don't know if you read my Flyers preview, but the Flyers have a bit of even year odd year magic, where they alternate based on what the expectations are. So if they're expected to be good, they suck. And if they're expected to suck, they are amazing. <laughs> and they've alternated that path every year for the last like six or seven years. And it's amazing because they end up right where we always expect the Flyers to be, which is right in the middle. Yeah, which is pretty much what they're going to do this season if things don't change. So remarkable. Mm-hmm. Good stuff from the Flyers. Um, all right, final question here. Last 10 minutes. Team to watch in the second half, and you could take this anyway. It could be because they're poised to make a run and you think they're actually better than they've shown so far, um, if you think they're going to be significantly better or worse than they've been, or if you just think they're going to be particularly active or involved or we're going to be talking about them down the stretch. So um, who do you have for this one? So I'm actually writing about this right now. Uh, every around like the halfway point, I look at each team's point pace and their projection and sort of look at the deviation and make like a, I guess a, a bit of a, a piece on what to expect in the second half. Why certain teams will regress one way and the other. Um, and the top three in terms of positive regression are, well, one of them is the Sabers because you just can't be that bad. You can't, and that's where maybe a model is wrong. And sometimes you can be that bad. And I think the Sabers might be the exception. So we'll see what happens there. Um, and the other two were Dallas and the Rangers. Mm-hmm. Dallas is a strong possession team. They're a bit banged up, but I think when they get Sagan and Bishop back, they shouldn't have too much trouble getting into that fourth spot. But I guess we'll see if Columbus makes a push or Chicago keeps being an interesting team. But Dallas has a 54% XG. They have some forward depth. They have two elite defenders. I think they're going to have a strong second half if they can survive the the schedule crunch. Yeah, they are going to play a lot of games in a short period of time, uh, which is like, it's good that they have those games in hand, but they need to make the most of them. Um, Yeah, I'm with you. That's an interesting one. The Rangers certainly like, if you just look at the fact that I think they've been very unlucky if you compare their goal differential to their actual uh, standings points, if if you just Mm -hmm. consider the fact that they got like no offensive production from Mika Zibanejad for the first 25 games or whatever, and now he's finally starting to come alive. Uh, Panarin missed an extended period of time. Like it, everything pretty much went as badly as it could. And I, I, I do think that, um, you know, assuming Schuster can, can come back and, and be what, what he's been so far in his career for them, they're an interesting team. 
I, I had a different team in that division. I had the Boston Bruins because mm. they're sitting at fourth in the East right now, third in point percentage. They're really tricky to evaluate for me because they have a lot of the hallmarks that we've come to expect and appreciate from them in the past, right? They have great defensive metrics. They have two really good goalies. Their top line is the best in the league, if not the second best behind Colorado's. They're scoring at the ninth highest power play rate. So they have a lot going for them. But then you look at it at five on five, the only teams scoring less frequently than them so far are Buffalo, Nashville, Detroit, and Arizona. And slightly ahead of them are Anaheim and LA. And that's not a neighborhood you want to be in. Now they're 29th in shooting percentage, but they're 29th in expected goals and high danger attempts for. And so they're really struggling to create offensively, especially when their top line isn't on the ice. And so it's tough to evaluate them because Pasternak missed the first seven games. Right now they're not playing because of COVID. Um, their blue line's been a mess. Like Charlie McAvoy's been amazing. But even after losing Krug and Chara, guys like Matt Grizzlick, Lozon, Carlo most recently have all been out for extended periods of time. It's just been a revolving door in the blue line. And so if they do get healthy, I do think they can make a run because 11 of their final 28 games, I believe, are against Buffalo and New Jersey. And so that's very good. And if they can stop being this bad at five on five, I do think there is a higher ceiling they can achieve. I'm not sure if how high that is for them this year, given everything uh, that's going on. But I do think they're probably are from a talent perspective better than they've been so far. Which is a bit crazy because they're on over 82 games would be a 105 point pace. Yeah, it's just and they haven't played the Sabres like at all Mm -hmm. while the Islanders and Capitals have sort of feasted on that pathetic franchise. So it is a bit shocking to me that they're so mediocre at five on five this year compared to other years. But I think based on what we've seen in past years, they can play a lot better than this. And I do agree that they can be a strong team to watch in the second half. But I think also that might have more to do with the other East teams maybe regressing a bit because they probably shouldn't be on these 110, 115 point bases. Not that the Islanders or Capitals aren't great teams. We've already waxed poetic a bit about the Islanders, but Mm -hmm. maybe just not to the record that they currently have. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know. Maybe if you look at it, it's like, especially on the blue light, if it doesn't get better, maybe this Bruins team isn't what they've been in the past, but I do Mm -hmm. think there are performance indicators there that make me cautiously optimistic that they can be better it's, it's interesting that they've been like one of the teams that's been linked to matthias Ekholm, and i get it because i just mentioned that revolving door in the blue line and like how few reliable players they've had playing defense beyond charlie mcavoy this season but for me like the priority would be trying to get that that second line going right like finding another playmaker who will potentially be cheaper than matthias Ekholm to revitalize David Krejci a bit and get another scoring line because as you saw in the past, like when they've been at their best, it's it's having a second or a third five on five line that can consistently generate offense to back up what the what the top guys are doing. I I agree, but I also wonder how much of that is on the fact that their defense is McAvoy Grizzlick and four replacement level or worse defensemen. Right. And what having that a third top pairing caliber guy would mean for that team yeah no certainly especially like getting the puck in advantageous positions for those guys yeah. and not having david Krejci have to do everything at this point in his career yeah no i i think that's fair there's certainly a couple of ways to go about addressing that but i think they need to do something their their resources are pretty limited 
in terms mm-hmm. of what they can do to accomplish that. But it seems like that never stops them from being linked to pretty much every single player that's available. So I'm really curious to see what they're going to do. So so if you were running the Bruins, you'd be trying to shore up that blue line or would you more, is there a name that you'd be kind of trying to target? I, I feel like I expect a lot more from Jake DeBrusque yeah. this year. And I still have faith that maybe he can bounce back a bit, but I, I would be aiming for at home. I'd be going all in on the Bruins core as much as I can, because who knows how much longer they have with Bergeron and Marchand and that defense needs to be fixed with someone. And I think Ekholm is the best option because this year he's actually driving offense more than he's driving defense. Mm, And I think that'll help a lot from getting the most out of that middle six. Because if you think about it at the start of the year, a lot of us were pretty content with what that middle six looked like. And all those guys there have had success in the past. And I think what's hurting them is playing so often with these terrible defensemen. Yeah, because if you just thought about it in terms of pairs, it's like, all right, Krejci and the Brusque, and then uh, Charlie Coyle and, and Craig Smith. Like, yeah, that seems like it makes sense. Obviously, Andre Kasha being hurt again doesn't help matters. But yeah, uh, we'll see. I mean, they're kind of the team that I tabbed for uh, a potential rise in the second half. So we'll see if that happens. Um, all right, Dom, our time here is up. Plug some stuff. What uh, You mentioned that piece you're working on. What else are you working on? Where can people check out your work? Give the listeners all that good stuff. I well, I think that's the only thing I'm working on right now. I <laughs> that's it. <laughs> that might be it right now. I don't really plan too far ahead unless I have like big pieces coming. And I, sorry to say, I don't have any anything big up my sleeve. No bangers right coming. Now. No, no bangers coming. Um, I gotta. I might need to get out the the banger notebook and start really thinking about great pieces to write. But um, I'll have that. I'll have 16 stats. I'll have an awards watch coming up. So. I don't count those as bangers. Those are just something you got to expect from me these days, but they'll be coming up over the next week or so. Yeah, you have to expect greatness. I like the idea of a, <laughs> I like the idea of a banger notebook. Mm-hmm. Just having a bangers notebook. Bangers only. Just bangers only. I like that. All right, man. Well, this is a blast. I'm glad we got to do this, and we'll, uh, we'll check in with you sometime down the road. Sounds good. Always a pleasure. All right. That's going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey PDOcast. Hopefully, you enjoyed listening, and if you did... Uh, please consider taking a minute to go leave us a quick little rating and review. Uh, It takes a minute of your time. It's super easy to do, and it goes a long way towards helping us out, and I personally greatly appreciate it. You can just leave us the five stars if you've got some time and are willing to do so. You can also drop us a note there and let people know either what you enjoy about the show or why you recommend they check it out themselves, and it helps us a lot moving forward in terms of the, the ratings. So, Thank you to those of you that have done so already, and thank you uh, in advance to those of you that will do so moving forward. Um, we're going to get back to doing more more podcasts here. Uh, I'm sure many of you noticed, and I apologize that we only did a couple shows in February. Uh, personally, I was a bit preoccupied in adjusting to my new writing gig at Elite Prospects Ringside. If you haven't checked out the website there and the work we're doing, I, I really highly recommend you do so. I'm really proud of the work that's on the site on a daily basis. Not only the stuff I do myself where I put out uh, one or two new pieces a week, but all the stuff we've got out there, we've got so many deep dives and interesting video breakdowns and analysis uh, by just some really awesome voices in in the hockey community. So um, I know there's a ton of things to subscribe to these days and not everyone will be able to do so right now. But if you can and you're kind of on the fence and thinking about it, just give it a shot. Use the promo code I love EP, uh, EP for Ringside, maybe also Elias Pedersen. It gets you 
two free months on an annual subscription and we've got content on there that's deeper and more thoughtful than than you'll get anywhere and i truly believe that so um i guarantee once you get that subscription you'll be on there every day you'll be soaking it all up you'll be reading all the content you won't be disappointed you're gonna get the bang for your buck and so yeah go check it out so thanks for listening to today's show we're gonna be back next week with another episode and then we're going to really ramp it up here as we get towards the trade deadline and the sprint towards the postseason. So until then. The Hockey PDOcast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.